Thank you. Romans chapter 8 in the scripture this morning. Romans chapter 8. Well, I trust you got a good sleep and uh, that you are not going to sleep now. <laughs> I uh, heard last night a mighty rushing wind. <laughs> and it really was. <laughs> And uh, may the Lord grant that in the spiritual realm of His wind moving in our midst. All right, Romans chapter 8. I do want to deal with the subject that I mentioned last night. And to begin with, we'll just read a couple of verses here uh, to open up uh, our subject uh, this morning. Romans chapter 8, let's begin in verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, liberated from the law of sin and death. And you notice in this verse you have both the word life and death right in this one verse. Verse 6, please. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, we have a contrast between death and life. And uh, let's read on, verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And again, we have the concept of dying and living, death and life, right here in this one verse. The title of the message is Skirting Death and Embracing Life. Analyzing the difference between Christian legalism, Christian license, and Christian liberty. Verse 2 talked about being free, liberated. So let's look at this this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us understanding. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of this morning hour, the sessions uh, of this day. And blessed Holy Spirit, would you grant that life that only comes when you breathe on us. Lord, would you grant life to your word. May it come alive in our minds, in our hearts. May it make sense. Would you connect the dots? And uh, Lord, would you, as the Spirit of truth, guide us into all truth. Lord, expose deception. Expose what hinders. And Lord, expose wrong ways of thinking. Strongholds that the enemy uses to uh, hinder us, to incarcerate us and bind us. And so, Lord, we plead the blood. Would you protect us from the attack of the evil one? Lord Jesus, we do claim our position in you at the throne. Far above the enemy, holding up your blood. In your name, we exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder this morning. Trust you that that not be allowed. So, oh, Lord, would you meet with us in these hours and accomplish your purpose, I pray. Use the truth to set free. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As a little boy, the Vietnam War was taking place, but I do not remember much of that. I was alive, but not very cognizant as a little boy of what was happening. Same thing with the Korean War from the standpoint of the U.S., but I remember much uh, later, in the late 80s, well do I remember the solemnity that uh, accompanied 
the first attack of the U.S. on Baghdad. I have a friend whose brother was a Navy pilot, and he was in the very first attack. He said when they came in and uh, began to uh, drop the bombs, immediately the ground response came up and uh, missiles and bombs were being fired back at them. And this is how he stated it. He said, as we flew through there, making our various attacks, he said it was like skirting death. And that is a fascinating phrase. Being shot at, and you're skirting death. And there is a sense where, in the spiritual realm, the same is true. Now, if you look, please, again at verse 6. It says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When it says to be carnally minded, literally the idea is the mind of the flesh is death. And the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Now, there are two kinds of death that are delineated in the New Testament and even right here in this chapter. The first kind of death is what I'm going to call Christian legalism, which really is an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. If it's shrimp, it's not jumbo, and if it's jumbo, it's not shrimp. But uh, it's one of those, those, those phrases that we put together. And when we say Christian legalism, it really is a contradiction. Uh, but it is uh, something that uh, is a label that is uh, used in our day. You'll notice in verse 8, it says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, it's fascinating. In uh, Romans chapter 8, flesh is personified. I won't take time to detail that in the text, but it is personified. And it is interesting in the Scripture, when you deal with a person, when the definite article, which is simply the little word the, is before the person, that name that is mentioned, the person that is mentioned, it emphasizes the person. However, when the definite article is absent, it emphasizes the quality or the power or the operation of that person. Now, it's very interesting. In Romans 8, flesh is personified. Now, in the English language, the word the is always in there before, the, before a name because it would sound funny to us without it. So it's rightly rendered. But it is significant to note that technically, in verse 8, there is no the before the word flesh. And yet elsewhere in the chapter, uh, there is. In other words, there are times. In other words, if we believe in verbal inspiration, there's a reason why the definite article is inserted before the, the personification, and there's a reason why it's absent. There are times in the passage when it's emphasizing flesh as a person. There are other times where it's emphasizing the power of the person. Can I word it this way? The power of the flesh. And that's what it's saying in Romans 8 and verse 8. So then they that are in the power of the flesh, whether lost or saved, so then they that are in the power of the flesh cannot please God. Now Christian legalism really is the power of of the flesh. That's what it is. That's one kind of death. The second kind of death is Christian license, which is another oxymoron. It's a contradiction. This we see in verse 7. Uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, Christian license has to do with the will of the flesh as 
Christian legalism has to do with the strength or the power of the flesh. So there's our two kinds of death. Christian legalism, Christian license. It is interesting, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, when it comes to the power of the flesh, it says, for the letter, referring to the letter of New Testament teaching, for the letter, we sometimes say the letter of the law, kills. See, there's death in it. In other words, you can have the uh, uh, correct doctrine, but if you don't have the life of the Spirit, then all you have is the power of the flesh, and it says the letter, without the life, kills. See, it's death. So Christian legalism is death, but so is Christian license. Uh, because they were told here in verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. And so whether it's the will of the flesh or the power of the flesh, if it's flesh, if it's carnal, and that's what the word flesh, uh, carnal means. It means fleshly. Now, I always was puzzled as a kid. My, my father every so often would preach a series on 1 Corinthians. Whenever he sensed the church was getting carnal, he would pull out that series on 1 Corinthians. That was like every couple of years. But uh, at any rate, it was a regular series. And I remember as a little boy when he would preach against being carnal. I was always puzzled. I thought, you know, I like caramel. <laughs> it's one of my favorite candies. Why is he preaching against caramel? Well, uh, he wasn't preaching against caramel. He was being, preaching against being carnal. And the word literally means fleshly. Okay? And so... Whether it's the power of the flesh or whether it's the will of the flesh, the carnal mind, the mind of the flesh is death. So there's our two kinds of death. And then it says, but to be spiritually minded or the mind of the spirit is life. And this is our third category. We'll call it Christian liberty. Notice again verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free liberated from the law of sin and death. So life and liberty go together. You see it in verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, and again, the word the is actually absent, for if ye live after the power of the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through, and again, the uh, definite article is absent, if ye through the power of the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so there is a liberation there is a liberty there is a freedom that is connected to life in Christ Jesus now those who are in the Christian legalism mode are very cognizant of the problem of Christian license and they are very much against it and they think that they are Christian liberty but they're not they're Christian legalism now, the reverse is also true. Those who are of the Christian license persuasion of thinking, they are very cognizant of Christian legalism, and they reject it, and they're against it, and they think that they are Christian liberty. But neither one really is. It's two ditches on the side of a narrow road. That narrow road is Christian liberty. That's what we need. Now, before we actually dive into this, I want to give some historical background that I trust will set the stage for what we're going to look at. And I'm just going to pick it up about 50 years ago. In the decade of the 1960s, in the realm of Christianity, uh, you had in that decade some tremendous things taking place. Um, and uh, there was really a, a great move of the Spirit of God uh, in the United States, and I'm uh, sure in other places as well. But uh, in uh, the stateside at that time, there was... Uh, uh, there was a movement that had just begun. It was called Independent Baptist. And 
It is fascinating. They went from nothing. My father said, he goes, I remember there was just a handful of us. Just a handful. And he said, we were the, the smallest and the weakest. And, and uh, you know, it was just, you know, uh, my father used to be a Southern Baptist. He'd pulled out of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1950. And he said, oh, at the beginnings, he said, it was very, very small. But in the decade of the 1960s, there was a move of God among independent Baptists that was so powerful that by the mid-1970s, the largest church in nearly every state was an independent Baptist church. Now that was miraculous. It really was. There was a move of God. And uh, it was across other lines as well. Uh, there were other movements. Uh, uh, the, uh, there were hippies in California. They were getting saved. They were not a part of the independent Baptist movement at all, but they were getting saved and uh, they were coming off uh, uh, out of the hippieism and, and they were filling pulpits. Well, you can't chalk that up to the devil. <laughs> uh, you know, God was doing something and they may be a different, uh, different uh, denominational tag, uh, but uh, nonetheless, God was at work. But another thing happened in the decade of the 1960s. You did have, in certain ranks, what has come to be called strange fire. And dear people that were very well-meaning and very surrendered, but perhaps uh, not grounded in truth that protects you from Satan's deceptions, and uh, uh, some, not all by any means, uh, got involved into some um, strange fire. And the charismatic explosion took place in that uh, time period. And there are dear people in that movement, and many of them are not involved in strange fire, but there were some that were. And so the excesses uh, were, uh, uh, they were a problem. And so there was a recognition of the excesses, and uh, they were connected, you know, in that arena, there was much uh, use of the terminology of the Holy Spirit. And so those that recognized the strange fire rejected it, but I fear tragically rejected unwittingly the Holy Spirit when they rejected the strange fire. And so bottom line, by the end of the decade of the 1960s, there was a, an abandonment of the Holy Spirit. Now the men who were old enough to have their theology set before that decade, like Ed Nelson, one of the few that's still alive, uh, they were not rocked by this. They never, they never overreacted. Uh, but the generation whose theology was still not set yet, hadn't gelled all the way yet, that generation and following, there was an overreaction and there was a walking away from the Holy Spirit so that He was still in our doctrine and in our creed, but not in our practice. And it was a tragedy to the movement that we would call today biblical fundamentalism. Well, without the Holy Spirit, you didn't have a leader. So you had a vacuum of leadership. And I'm generalizing in what I'm about to say, but I think it's generally fair for me to say <laughs> that in that wake in this vacuum of a lack of leadership because there was a walking away of the spirit of Jesus as the real leader there developed what I call an emperorism big kings it's kind of like in the song be thou my vision you had the high king and the small kings pastor was telling me and uh, uh, that uh, set up here well that's kind of what was happening there were the big kings and uh, and then uh, over time, uh, they held conferences and uh, uh, others who weren't as big liked what they were hearing and you developed little kings. <laughs> and uh, over the years, uh, in recent years, there's a homeschool movement. Much of that's a great blessing. 
but in some sectors, uh, even the emperorism has gone from the big kings to the little kings to even littler kings. <laughs> and you have kind of this, this, this style of leadership that actually infringes on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, historically, what I'm describing is not new. It's happened in other time periods. Historically, it's called monarchical bishops. I had a professor tell me that. So, I'm passing it along to you. I'm sure that was a great blessing and you all put it down in your notes. But, uh, this is a concept that has come up over and over again over the centuries of the New Testament church. But, uh, what happens is you have really a lording over God's heritage. The very fact that the Scripture warns in the church setting uh, and says not lording it over God's heritage means that it's possible to lord it over God's heritage. And so uh, this really is what's happening. And in uh, these decades that I'm describing, in the 70s and 80s especially, uh, is really when this became very strong, the 1970s and 1980s, uh, to greater or lesser degrees, this became a very common paradigm of thinking. And it produced a leader-dependent church. And that's not the same as God-dependent. And uh, nor is it to say that you shouldn't have leadership. Now we're going to see that that's very appropriate. But the problem here is it created a leader-dependent paradigm. And uh, uh, it really was kind of the easy way. Because uh, here's uh, how it works. Here's a box. And here's what you got to do, here's what you got to be, here's what you got to look like, and here's the box, and you don't need the Holy Spirit as long as you just get in the box. So it kind of was an easy way out, and uh, there's no spiritual growth because the Holy Spirit's not involved. Uh, again, I'm generalizing in the statements that I'm making. And what this did is it excluded soul liberty. And individuals, uh, in the New Testament... Uh, one of the things we believe as Baptists is the priesthood of the believer. In other words, with that is soul liberty, uh, that you've got to be convinced by the Spirit of truth. And each individual has that responsibility. Well, here, that responsibility was excluded as long as you fit in the box of the kingdom that you were in. And so what that did is it infringed on the role of the Holy Spirit. And probably we can think in our... Depending on how much history you know, we can probably think of faces and, and names that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. But what we have to ask ourselves is there's somebody else who would picture us <laughs> uh, when they hear this and so on. So uh, very uh, uh, interesting to think of it in terms uh, of that. And uh, when this became strong, it was oppressive and it was provoking and so on. Well, there was a reaction to it. Uh, by the late 1980s, as we came into the decade of the 90s, there was a big reaction to it. And uh, the reaction is what I'm going to call individualism. And now you have every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. So here's this overreaction to this emperorism and this lording it over things kind of mentality and paradigm, this leader-dependent situation. And now every man's doing that which is right in his own eyes. Uh, the, uh, the name for this and again, I'm generalizing when I say this, would be the contemporary style church. And uh, this would be their banner that they use and so forth. And this is not a leader-dependent paradigm. It's a self-dependent paradigm. And yet there's kind of overlaps in all of this, which is kind of uh, interesting. But it's still, an, uh, it's still an easy way. There's no box. So again, you still don't need the Holy Spirit. 
So both of these have infringed upon the Holy Spirit, have ignored the Holy Spirit, and therefore are they're death. They're not life. And uh, soul liberty is exploited, it is excluded, the role of the Holy Spirit is ignored, and uh, while the one is oppressive, the other is depressive, and uh, it leaves people empty. And I've met people from the contemporary style church, and, and uh, they just said, you know, there was all this fluff, there was all this stuff, but I was empty. Why? Because there's no life. There's two kinds of death. Then the, the third, and this is, we're right now dealing with the corporate context and the historical context, what is in the New Testament is what I'm going to call shepherd leadership. Now, shepherd is a leader. But in the Bible, there's the great shepherd, and shepherds are the under-shepherd to the great shepherd. So, as the under-shepherd follows the great shepherd, then the sheep follow the leadership of the shepherd who's under the great shepherd. This is God's plan. It's true discipleship. It's leading, not lording. And it is a God-dependent paradigm, not a leader-dependent or a self-dependent paradigm. It's a God-dependent paradigm for all, both the pastor, the shepherd, as well as the people. And it exemplifies soul liberty instead of excluding it. And it is a true matter of following the Holy Spirit and allowing Christ to build His kingdom. And it is liberating. Why? Because it accesses the life of Jesus. Now, that's the his, his, history. These are the big picture in the corporate paradigm. But there's a trickle-down effect to us as individuals. And really what I've described in the movement... There's a, there's a certain sense where every church has within it a microcosm of the movement. And within many churches, these swings and extremes and ditches, and yet the right way, are all there. <laughs> and so let's look at it and see where we as uh, people stand on this matter. As we now look at it, I want us to have this in mind. We must... Embrace life in order to avoid death. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, we must know what is truth. That is, the mind of the Spirit of truth that liberates and sets free and therefore be able to discern deception, the mind of the flesh that incarcerates and binds. Now, to do this, what I want to do is address the philosophy of each of these three categories and the practice of these three categories so we can see where perhaps we need to make adjustments in our own hearts and lives. So let's begin with the philosophy of these uh, three categories, Christian legalism, Christian license, and Christian liberty. Now if you're taking notes, and uh, don't feel like you have to, but if you are taking notes, it might be easier to set up three columns, but you can do it how you want to. Uh, and one of these days, if I ever get techie, maybe we'll have PowerPoint and this make it a whole lot easier, but uh, I'm not there yet. So uh, some of us are dinosaurs. But uh, let's begin with the philosophy of these three categories. And uh, to do that, let's start with the theological grid. Now, the common word for that would be mindset. <laughs> but let's deal with that grid, that theological grid. Christian legalism has the grid that we could call a performance-based grid. It is achievement 
oriented. And there is this, you know, if you perform well, then you're accepted by God and by everybody else. And it really falls into a pleasing others, impress others, achieve the status. Ah, yes, he's a good Christian. He wears a white shirt. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he uh, you know, does this and doesn't do this and so forth and so on. It's achievement oriented. And it really has this box that we're talking about uh, where, and this box can vary from, from setting to setting, but here's the box, okay? And you've got you to listen to this and not listen to this. You've got to look like this and not look like this. And uh, there's all of these standards and expectations of soul winning. And by the way, soul winning is in the Bible and holiness is in the Bible. But what I'm saying here, the focus here is not on the real deal of holiness. It's focusing on the standards. Here's the box. Here's what you look like. Here's what you don't look like. And as long as you look like those things, you're a good Christian, though you might be corrupt as all get out in your heart. Which is a tragedy. I remember uh, a young lady I was in a meeting here a few uh, months ago and she was telling me, she said, you know, when I was in youth group, she said our youth pastor was constantly just, just, uh, just bashing our heads. And he would say things like, uh, ah, you're all bad. You know, none of you are going to make it. And she said after a while, she said, well, you know, we just despaired. We kept being told we're bad, we're not going to make it. You know what that is? It's called the language of unbelief. It's tragic. I have a dear friend who's having some trouble with his oldest son. And uh, when I'm around him, I'm noticing that he's saying the wrong things to his son. Well, you know, you're going to have to learn the hard way. You're just going to have to blow it and sow your wild oats. And, you know, but God will, you know, God will speak to him and wake you up. I'm thinking, no, wait a second. You're just sowing the seeds of unbelief in this young man. I'll tell you what my father told me. No, you're going to make it. You're going to do right. <laughs> and uh, God's going to be with you. And it's going to turn out right. It was the language of faith. Uh, but what happens here in this performance-based mentality, often the language of unbelief is uh, used. And what happens to people after they're in this for a long time is they say things like this. I'll never be able to measure up. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was talking with somebody and this was the very words out of their mouth. Oh, I'll never be able to measure up. Why? Because it's all based on you. And here's this standard of what you're supposed to be and do and so forth. And we can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. And so people get discouraged. Or else they get proud, uh, depending on how they fit in the box. Well, let's switch from legalism to license here. Legalism is a performance-based grid. And license is a performance-ignored grid. Which means it's a reverse performance-based grid. Which means it's still a performance-based grid. <laughs> I hope you catch that. You know, the one is performance-based, and there's, you know, that's how they hammer it. The other is performance-ignored, which means it's still performance-based. And we'll see that come through over and over again as we make these comparisons. And as the one may seek to please others, this one, license, seeks to please self. It's very selfish. As the one is a box, this is no box. And uh, it uh, 
it's interesting what happens when this happens. I was in a meeting one time some years ago, and uh, a pastor across town uh, said, I want you to come and preach in our chapel all week long, if you don't mind, while you're preaching in that church. And uh, he said, you know, our kids need some holiness. He said, would you preach on holiness? <laughs> so I said, okay. And uh, so I'm, you know, and I, I, I like to start with the engine, because if you don't have the engine, you don't have holiness. There's no holiness apart from the Holy Spirit. And I remember uh, one day I got into the application of guy-girl stuff. <laughs> and uh, this was a, a, a setting where they, they hadn't heard much of this. I, I was to find out later. And uh, I was challenging them to keep themselves pure in their mind, in their body, and in their emotions. And save themselves for the one that God had for them. And at the end of the service, uh, I was challenging them to make a vow of trusting God for His power uh, to keep themselves pure. Well, like one or two kids responded. And so the uh, school principal was baffled by that. Why didn't more kids respond? And then, as the kids went home that day, he started getting phone calls, and parents were ticked off, mad, angry. All these kids were upset, and there was an uproar. And so he calls me. He says, you know, I think what happened, he says, they thought you were saying that you're going to trust God to keep you pure and uh, that, you know, you're not going to have physical contact and so forth and so on until the day you're married. He said, surely that's not, he said, that's what they thought you were saying and and that's why they're all mad. I said, well, that's what I was saying. (laughs) Well, in the wake of that, there was one young man who came to me. He said, our youth pastor. He teaches us that we can do whatever we want. We can have physical contact, but it really doesn't matter. He says, I've blasted my conscience. He said, what I heard you preach yesterday, he said, I wish I'd have heard that a long time ago. Now that's what happens when you get into license. See, here's a youth pastor who is preaching, there's no rules. And so there's the overreaction to the legalism, and both kill. The letter of the law kills, and so does... Just sheer carnality. It's death. It kills. And so this idea, it doesn't matter how you live, uh, is also the language of unbelief. In both cases it is. Now, let's get to Christian liberty when it comes to the theological grid. Uh, we saw that uh, legalism is performance-based. License is performance-ignored. And now liberty, true Christian liberty, is a faith-based grid. This one is relationship-oriented and has to do with pleasing God. See, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. See, faith means that you're depending on God. The focus is on God. And so when we cast our dependence on God, when we depend on His will and His power, He's pleased. So this is truly a matter of pleasing God. God. Remember back in September, a school teacher was telling me, she said, I've just been so frustrated, and, and she was really in the performance-based mode, and God began to open her eyes and protected her from the license, and she said, I began to rest in Jesus. And she said, all of a sudden, these things that I had done before just had a sheer duty, and I was miserable. She said, now there was a delight. I had a true walk with God. She entered into relationship. There's the difference. And with this, there's the language of faith. This says, with God, you can do everything you ought to do, (laughs) and it'll be right. And so, we have true Christian liberty. Ah, still in the matter of philosophy, let's switch from theological grid now to essence. Let's talk about the essence of this theological grid. On 
Christian liberty, excuse me, on Christian legalism, the essence of it is sanctification by works. That's really what it amounts to. It's a works-based sanctification. It has to do with the work of the flesh. That is, the strength or the power of the flesh. Whereas Christian license is sanctification by osmosis. <laughs> and it really has to do with works ignored, and you end up with the works of the flesh. In other words, there is an indulging of the flesh, and uh, Galatians 5, other passages, the works of the flesh are manifested, fornication, adultery, and so on. And so uh, you have two extremes here. Whereas the essence of Christian liberty is sanctification by faith that accesses the fruit of the Spirit. So, that's the essence. Let's move. And let me just say a little bit more about that. You know, what happens to a lot of people is they, they come to, to, to Jesus and they trust Christ and they're justified by faith. And they realize it's by faith. And so they trust Christ and Christ saves them. But then they slip back into a works mentality to grow. That's Christian legalism. It is a works-based sanctification. It's sanctification by struggle. Now, don't misunderstand. We all have struggles. But the struggle of trying to live for God in the power of you does not need to be one of your struggles. And so that's what happens. It's sanctification by works. And it's tragedy. And it is the work of the flesh. It's the strength of the flesh. It's what the flesh can do. And you know, the flesh can perform and, and perform the outward box, but be very corrupt in the heart. Then there's the overreaction to that, where sanctification and it's just by osmosis and you don't worry about anything and everything is ignored. And what happens in that license is people end up in the works of the flesh and they're very worldly and, uh, and uh, there's a lot of grieving the Spirit in that direction. What we need is sanctification by faith and as we depend on Christ in us, we access Him, and the fruit of Him, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So there's the essence that we're dealing with. Thirdly, under the philosophy, is the mode of operation. Christian legalism, the mode of operation is flesh dependence for a flesh-filled life that looks good outwardly. But it's still flesh. It's all based on try harder. And if you fall, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just determine that you're going to try harder yet. All right, that's flesh dependence. It is the uh, strength of the flesh. It's a flesh-filled life. The mode of operation for Christian license is flesh indulgence which is also a flesh-filled life. It's still the flesh. And this one is, why try? The other one's try. This one's why try. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. There's just kind of this free-for-all drifting with the flow. And in the name of, uh, you know, other things, people end up being quite defeated and worldly. Whereas the mode of operation for Christian liberty is God-dependent. Accessing the Spirit-filled life. So you have flesh dependence and flesh indulgence, both the flesh-filled life. And then you have God dependence accessing the Spirit-filled life. That's the mode 
of operation. Fourthly, the philosophical focus is uh, another consideration. On Christian legalism, the focus is man-centered, which means it's selfish. Because the focus is on you doing all these things. You doing church. You doing religion. But it's you in behalf of God's cause, of course. (laughs) But still you. What it does, in the name of God's cause, it spiritualizes your cause. It's man-centered. It's what you can do. You can achieve. There's your performance-based thing. It is a man-centered religion in the name of being God-centered. Christian license is also man-centered, and therefore it's also selfish, and it's also a focus on you. This time in behalf of God's goodness, all the grace of God, you know, nothing matters. You can just, you know, nobody quite says it that way, and yet that's what they're saying. And uh, there is a tragic... um, licentiousness, license, that is taking place. And again, it's just very selfish. It's man-centered. But the philosophical focus of Christian liberty, of course, is God-centered. It's unselfish. Why? Because the focus is not on man. The focus is not on you. The focus is on God. Now, before we move from philosophy to practice, let me summarize. By the way, we'll do the practice in in the next session. Okay. (laughs) I got this worked out ahead of time. (laughs) Uh, So uh, let me just summarize this, and then we'll take a break and come back to uh, move to the practice. And uh, we'll continue on. But in legalism, it's a religion of law. Law demands obedience. Whereas license, and let me put it this way, law demands obedience duty obedience, whereas license justifies disobedience. Okay, so the law demands this duty, obedience, whereas license justifies disobedience, whereas grace, Christian liberty, enables delight obedience. You see, the law tells you what to do, but gives you no power to do it. Because it ignores the Holy Spirit. It tells you what to do, but gives you no part to do it, and really incites rebellion against it. The letter of the law kills. And so we have homes where you have everybody going to church, and you have good doctrine, it seems, and you have, you know, good position, it seems, and you got these kids rebelling. I see it everywhere I go across the states. I was in one church where the whole church was grieving over all of their kids in the world. I'm telling you, we had a prayer meeting. <laughs> Man, did we have a prayer meeting. Uh, but the bottom line is, something was wrong there. They had all this correct doctrine. They had law. But they didn't have life. The letter without the Spirit kills. The Spirit who gives life. So that's what happens. Now, license tells you what not to do. <laughs> kind of reverses it all and still gives you no power. As people are wallowing with habits that bind them. Because they still don't have the life of the Spirit for victory. But grace tells you what 
excuse me, tells you who to focus on. See, legalism and license focus on what? Liberty focuses on who? See, grace tells you who to focus on. Christ. And gives you His life as the power to obey so that He fulfills the law through you. The New Testament called the law of Christ. See, Christian legalism thinks, what can I do for God? What can I do for God? See, it's very proudful. License says, what can God do for me? (laughs) Whereas liberty says, what can God do through me? As opposed to for me. There's more to it. Legalism prays, God, help me obey your laws. It's a split trust at best. That won't work for justification. Friends, it doesn't work for sanctification either. License says, help me do what I want to do. God, here's my plan. (laughs) Here's how I want to do it. God, help me, bless me, and so forth. Whereas liberty prays, Lord, live your life through mine as you desire. And so this kind of summarizes the systems. So there's the philosophy, but philosophy opens the door to the practice. And so let's just have a closing word of prayer. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and deal with the practice and uh, continue on. Lord, we do thank you for truth. We thank you that truth sets free. And Lord, we've dealt in some sense with some abstract things thus far. As we get into the practice, Lord, would you really help uh, the dots to connect? And uh, may we see it clearly, see where we're at. And Lord, would you adjust us where we need it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.